0: History Town was brought to you by...
1: It's 1862. You are hand-digging through layers of frustrating gravel, hoping and praying the next shovel stroke will expose a fortune in gold. Everyone says it's crazy, but there's too much at stake. Then. Just when the outcome seems impossibly bleak, the ground begins to pay. The lead is struck, and the greatest creekside placer gold deposit the world has ever seen is suddenly yours for the taking. This is Barkerville's story. For
2: more information, visit Barkerville.ca. Barkerville, a national historic site of Canada.
1: You found History Town. You found history. Town. You found History Town. You found History Town. Hey,
2: you found History Town. Good day, ladies and
0: gentlemen, and welcome to History Town Podcast. I am your host. My name is Matthew Quick. And before we begin, History Town isn't a listener-supported podcast. So please, I ask if you could share, like, retweet, uh, any way to get a hold of our show, that'd be very appreciated. Also, leave a rating on iTunes. That helps us quite a bit. This week's show, we have uh, a nice intro with uh, James Douglas, Uh who is the manager of visitors experience in Barkerville. We also have a good friend of mine. Uh, his name is David Radford. David Radford portrayed, uh, judges and mine managers alike in Barkerville in 2003, who even uh, helped out a bit this year in the, with the judges program. Great guy. Uh, very, um, uh, we've known each other for a while. So we joke around quite a bit. Um, it's also, we recorded it oh, on Father's Day in June of this year. So uh, we're a bit behind. Uh, however, you can always look up David Radford at Launchpad um, Theater in Victoria and you can see his upcoming shows. He has one coming up at the Craig Dare Castle, which actually fits in with the opening of our show as well. So uh, <laughs> good afternoon, James.
2: Good afternoon, Matt.
0: How are you doing?
2: I am doing very well. Snow is falling, uh, things are shaping up for our Victorian Christmas and the grand um, opening of our tube run, the Shamrock Tube Run and Magic Carpet Lift. Uh, it's very exciting, actually, here around Barkerville. There's about two feet of snow everywhere, and uh, we're very happy that it's falling.
0: I've always loved the Victorian Christmas. I participated in it twice. Um, I did like a like a one man and a two man show um in like 2010 2000 i think it was 2010 2009 um what do you have uh what's i know it's a bit early to talk about victorian christmas but we're gonna be coming on it soon uh what's uh what's the the plan the schedule look like for that uh those
2: for those days Well, um, as per usual, it's three days, two weeks before Christmas. So in this case, it's December 10th to 12th. Um, A number of the the stores are open. So we've got uh, C. Strauss & Company, the Mason & Daily, the Eldorado, probably McPherson's Watchmaker & Jewelry Shop, at least by appointment, if not open all day long. Um, so we, you get a chance to come and visit Barkerville in uh, the Victorian wintertime and see the 20-foot snowbanks that'll be, uh, <laughs> be be all around as the snow gets pushed out of the park so that people can walk around. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, this year, actually, we're going to have two uh, sleighs that are running uh, concurrently. Uh, we do sleigh rides normally, and last year was so popular. Um, that we wanted to make sure that nobody was disappointed and if they didn't book their their sleigh ride in advance when they first come to Barkerville, which is a very good idea, book your sleigh ride uh, the minute that you get to Barkerville. Uh, but there's going to be two sleighs this year, so that's very exciting. We have uh, a Victorian old-fashioned Father Christmas uh, in a in a grotto that we call the Enchanted Forest in the new school, <laughs> the new Barkerville school. Any, uh, um Music that's going to be taking place? Um, there'll be some caroling. Um, uh, Caroline Zins, who's uh, our archivist and librarian, uh, is going gonna, is gonna to lead a, a local choir um, several times throughout the course of the weekend uh, singing Christmas carols. People are more than welcome to, to join in. I, myself, um, as John Bowron, will be doing a dramatic reading of A Christmas Carol. Um, every day at 1 p.m. at the, the Methodist Church. I did that last year, and it was quite, uh, it was quite well received. Uh, for the first time this year as well, too, we're gonna have the Caribou Sentinel open. So the, the print shop uh, that we've talked about in previous um, uh, episodes of History Town um, will be open, and uh, Christmas cards, a number of different uh, other sort of novelty printing things will be available um, for purchase for, for Christmas gifts. Uh, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. And hey, and, and if everything goes really well, our Magic Carpet Lift and uh, Shamrock Tube Run will be operating during Old Fashioned Victorian Christmas. Now, I, I do have to ask, because you're going to be in the John Bowern,
0: and you do have a wonderful singing voice, are we going to be able to see the 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 Bing Crosby-esque voice? Are we going to be able to listen to that of James <laughs> Douglas? Uh, caroling possibly in the streets, enchanting uh, enchanting people with the snow falling? I mean, come on now. I, I, I I'm not. I don't want to call you out or anything, but I'm just saying that your voice, you do have that old timey perfect voice for those
2: kind of carol songs. So. Oh, holy night. <laughs> yeah, I, chances are I probably will do a little bit of singing over the course of the weekend. <laughs> uh,
0: now, uh, speaking of and en- uh, entertainment, um, you have a. Uh, now we briefly touched on it, and the only reason was because you probably know me and how I react. And you probably wanted to at least get my reactions out of the way before we discussed it on mic. Because I probably, I I didn't swear, but I was pretty darn close to being pretty astonished and amazed by what this project. uh, You told me about this project that you're doing. And um, I mean, it's fascinating. Uh, I I think that's the one thing I, I always carry away with everybody. And I tell people all the time that you go to Barkerville, you may be talking to somebody who says, I do this. However, it, it should be like an asterisk and then you get a list of like 5,000 things that they also do because you may be talking to somebody who's like hammer, you know, at the blacksmith shop and then you realize, oh no, he has a, a, an album. Uh, he's an accomplished performer. Also, you know, a, a, a heck of a hand of, um, you know, shoeing horses or some other thing that you're just like, what's that? Okay. So you encountered something that was pretty amazing. Uh, you had a little trip uh, to the island. Um, working on, I think you were doing some film work, correct, down on the island. Is that correct? Or were you doing a play?
2: Oh, you mean the when I discovered all of this that was going on? Um, yeah, like you, <laughs> where you were gone for a bit. So we were. We um, yeah, to- the, the reason I was gone actually was a 50th anniversary reunion at the University of Victoria. The Phoenix Theater Department at, at UVic was founded in 1966. Um, so this year, in 2016, uh, they had a big 50th anniversary reunion and invited all of these different uh, classes. You know, people who have uh, graduated, alumni from the, from the institution, came back, and we had a weekend where we all got a chance to meet each other again and uh, network and, and, you know, relive past glories. <laughs> um, I officially didn't graduate from the, the theatre department at UVic. I did actually do my first two years there before I went off to the American Academy of Dramatic Arts in New York. Uh, But I came back and finished my English degree at UVic. And then I started a master's program there in 2003, uh, which I abandoned in 2004 (laughs) so that I could run off to Prague and uh, direct a show with with a a fairly famous director that I encountered while I was doing my master's studies at UVic. So I I have UVic a lot to thank for. But I technically never graduated from the theater department. However, my wife did. <laughs> Twice. Uh, she, she, uh, she graduated with her BFA in acting uh, back in 1989, and then she uh, did her master's degree in applied theater, her, her MA. So You mean a uh,
0: Danette Boucher episode one of History Town? You can Danette hear all about Boucher, it? Danette
2: Boucher episode one, absolutely. Yes. So uh, I, I snuck in under the wire because I got to be her plus one for the, for the reunion and go and see all of the people that I, that I know and love, and, and a, a lot of people that I hadn't seen in quite some time. Uh, so that was really great. And then I immediately went from there to Jasper uh, because um, there is a big travel uh, trade show, a tourism trade show called Canada's West Marketplace that takes place in a different Alberta or BC community every year. And hundreds of uh, international buyers, so people who operate tour companies or or, or tours, tour wholesalers or um, travel agents, that sort of thing, they come to, to one of to Canada's West Marketplace, and then they meet with all of these different BC and Alberta, what they call sellers, which is us, the attractions and the hotels and things, and we make some business contact. So I had to go immediately from Victoria to there before then heading to Williams Lake uh, for a board retreat. I'm the vice chair of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast Tourism Association uh, based out of Williams Lake. So it was a very whirlwind couple of weeks that wow. was, that was uh, you know, that began with a very interesting email that I received literally the day I was supposed to leave that um, opened up a door uh, to a whole new project that, that I'll be working on that will involve Barkerville, but it'll be something that I'm doing in my, in my spare time. So it's not my, my capacity as the manager of visitor experiences here uh, that, that I'll be doing this film project. Um, but Barkerville is definitely going to play a, a large role in it, and it was Barkerville was the the inst- instigator for me even thinking about this particular project that I wanted to do. And uh, as a result of now being given the permission to do it, I want to make sure that Barkerville is there. But we also have uh, a number of other very historically significant properties around British Columbia that will be locations for this film that i'm about to make <laughs> <laughs> and it's the, the
0: best part about it, it with your position is that not only are you going around and visiting all these um historical parks and places you're also doing um location scouting it sounds like <laughs> uh for future projects because when you told me about um told me about what the project that you're going to be doing uh i was like yeah no, that's that's right up your alley you know exactly where those places are and you know where to shoot uh however, I think uh I'm we're detracting away from the, the <laughs> announcement. And I think um you should probably explain to you a little bit um about the person that you received the email
2: from and then uh the project, because it's 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 amazing. It's amazing. Oh well, thanks. I'm I'm pretty excited. Okay, so for a couple of years now, and with my association with Barkerville and especially working with a number of different film companies who've come through and filmed here, including some projects that I've worked on, um I've always thought you know, I'd really like to, to take a stab at directing something of length on film. I've done a lot of shorts. I've written for film and TV. I've done some pro- producing through Barkerville. We produced that documentary, Wilds to Riches, which uh, had some great success in, in 2013. And so I knew that I wanted to do something that was a fictional story. Like, I'm, I'm a real huge film fan, so I wanted to make a, a dramatic movie. Um, but, you know, maybe something that was less than a full-length film, maybe like a television or something like that in an, an hour drama, and I'm a huge Stephen King fan, so I I was started reading Stephen King short stories, thinking I, I just maybe just if I'm going to do this just for fun, maybe I should you know do something that I like, and uh, and then you know I don't have the rights to any of these stories, but maybe I can figure out a way to get a little bit of permission to to do it just for fun again, non commercially, and there was one story in particular. Uh, that I read about a year ago, reread about a year ago. That really tickled my fancy. It's called The Doctor's Case, and uh, anybody who's listening who is a Stephen King fan, you can find it in the collection Nightmares and Dreamscapes, which came out in 1990 or 91, I think. Um, but uh, the story—it's a Sherlock Holmes story—and he had originally written it. If my memory serves me correctly, he wrote it for an anthology of a number of different writers at the time in the late '80s. Um, were were having stories collected they were all writing Sherlock Holmes stories that were being then collected into a compendium um sort of written in the style of Arthur Conan Doyle so he wrote the story called The Doctor's Case which he then republished in Nightmares and Dreamscapes and the the conceit of the story is that it's Watson in his 90s is writing this case um you know because throughout the course of the Sherlock Holmes stories they're always from Watson's perspective he's actually journaling the various cases that he and Holmes have been involved in. And so in this case, it's way after the fact. It's 40 years after Sherlock Holmes has died. And he's writing this story about the one and only time in his memory, at least, he solved a case before Sherlock Holmes. And uh, he feels that this is the time that he can actually finally tell this case. And, and it goes on to explain that, without giving too much away, that Sherlock Holmes is allergic to cats,
3: <laughs> and it's
2: it's a traditional locked room mystery that you know a, a wealthy land baron is murdered in in his study there's no way that anybody could have gotten in or out um there's a will involved or two wills that's involved so you don't really know who's you know who's necessarily got a motive to kill him but the thing about him is is that he is a cat lover and he has at least a dozen cats all roaming around his manor house so when Holmes gets there He has this histamine reaction and and gets a stuffy nose and, you know, itchy eyes. And as a result, he's distracted to the point where he misses a key piece of evidence that Watson sees. And then Watson gets to have that Sherlock moment where he sort of sees the entire case unfold before him just based on this one little thing that he saw. And so it's a nice way of sort of giving a bit of a nod to Watson as being um, an intelligent uh, investigator as well. Uh, Lestrade's in there for good measure, um, to the, the bumbling, um, inspector from, uh, Scotland Yard, who's always coming to Watson and Holmes for help. And it actually has kind of a really interesting, very Stephen King-ish twist at the end. I mean, not, no monsters or anything come jumping out, but, uh, <laughs> it, it just, it doesn't end the way you would expect it to end. So I, I've always been really drawn to the story. And so in May, I was talking to my friend Michael Coleman. Um, Now, Michael Coleman is an actor friend of mine that I met um, when a bunch of us from Barkerville were working at Storium, which I think we've probably mentioned in this podcast before. Uh,
0: Episode one, uh, Jeanette Boucher.
2: Excellent, thank you very much. (laughs) Episode one, Jeanette Boucher. Um, Go back and listen to it if you haven't already. And uh, Pistorium was this underground heritage experience that we had some experience our, of our own with uh, for a couple of years in the early 2000s. And um, so Michael was a comedian. He's a voiceover actor from Vancouver. He's been doing um, animation voiceovers since he was a teenager. Um, he plays one of the main characters in the um, Dragon Ball Z uh, show, okay, for example, yeah. that, kind, that kind of stuff. But um, and since Storium, he also landed a pretty nice gig, uh, playing Happy the Dwarf on ABC's Once Upon a Time. Uh, so, which is a uh, massive it's just a small low budget show. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Just a, huge and, you know. following, like just a massive <laughs> show. Um, oh. and he's Happy the Dwarf, so he's an instantly recognizable guy. Uh, they they send him around to all the official Once Upon a Time conventions. He's an MC. He, he does a lot of that kind of work too. It's got a huge fan base, um, so I brought him up. Uh, Barkerville sponsored um, his appearance at Northern FanCon in Prince George in May, and I think we've talked about FanCon before as well. But just as a little recap, it's a, yeah. a large fan expo that has is going into its third year now, um, and its roots actually. We're in Barkerville, because uh, Norm Coyne of Unlimited Media and Events, uh, who produces Northern Fan Con, uh, he was at one time uh, my sales rep from the Prince George Citizen, and he and I put some stuff together uh, for a couple of geek weekends a few years ago. And in one case, we brought up some minor celebrities um, to, to to be here in Barkerville when we had this con. And it was that experience, I think, that kind of helped propel him in a direction he was already going. But um, anyway, long story short, I brought Michael up to to come to FanCon, and he signed autographs and got pictures taken. I wanted to ask him about the doctor's case, and if he if that was something that he would be interested in, because Michael also. Um, He's an, an excellent actor. I mean he's he's known as a comedian, you know, Happy the Dwarf and and all the rest of it and, and the the animation stuff that he does, but he's he is a very good dramatic actor. And I don't know that he necessarily always gets cast that way. So he he, he was quite warm to the idea if there was any way that we could figure out a way to do it. He's you know, he's, he's being very generous with his time, um, which is very valuable. Uh, yes. but, he w- but he also mentioned to me at that time that, he, you know, he does also run a small film school in Vancouver uh, that might be able to help with some of the production angles. Now, I'm being facetious when I say a small film school. Schoolcreative.com, look it up. School Creative in Vancouver is a massive professional training ground uh, for not only film production and film acting, but also voiceover work, uh, they have uh, labs where they're they're teaching students to to create video games from the ground up, like all of the programming as well as all of the the talent side of things too. They've got massive blue screen, like three massive blue screen studios inside this school, and that's not even including the rest of their soundstage wow. stuff. I mean. I was amazed. He took me a few weeks back, <laughs> took me on a tour of the place, and holy man, I'm not getting paid to be a shill for Michael's school. But if you're <laughs> thinking about going to film school in Vancouver, schoolcreative.com. Um, that being said, uh, he's, yeah, and we, again, we were just sort of toying with the idea. And the only reason I even brought it up with Michael was because very. Uh, close to that time in May, so probably around late April, a friend of mine said, hey, well, because I was telling this story and how I'd really love to do this, mo- this make this movie of a Stephen King uh, short story, this friend of mine said, well, you know, I think Stephen King has a program called Dollar Babies in which if you make a pitch and there's a, a short story that is currently unlicensed uh, that he has the rights to and they like the pitch, they'll sell you the rights, non-commercial rights, for a dollar. Like, literally, it just came out of this person's mouth as I'm trying to figure out how I could possibly get permission to film this story. So I had mentioned that to Michael. He was pretty interested in that, and I think that's part of the reason why he brought up his school because, you know, the whole concept of... The whole thing behind the Dollar Babies program, I've now discovered, is that it's a way of nurturing young talent. You know, if he, you know, King wants to give back and he felt that, you know, people should be allowed to, to make films out of his out of his work, provided they're not films that then they want to turn around and sell to somebody. Now, that being said, so the idea is that it's non-commercial permission. You can raise money uh, to, to to make the film in question. Right. Uh, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, uh, you can go to corporate, wh- whatever. However you need to to raise the budget that you figure you can make. And then uh, you can show it at festivals after the fact. You can show it at educational institutions in a non-commercial way. Stephen King will watch the movie. That's one of the guarantees of the... Or it's one of the seeming guarantees. Anyway, he's come right out and said it. <coughs> of the Dollar Babies program, he watches them all. He's got a shelf in his house or his office or something where they all are there. But there's been about 40 of these movies that have been made since 1977 when he started the program.
3: <coughs>
2: and in a, occasionally, the films have been good enough to warrant more than just a single watch. And in at least four cases that we know of commercial rights have been granted to the finished product based on its quality. Pardon me. And one of those films was made by a young filmmaker named Frank Darabont in the eighties.
0: Who most people might know is from, uh, Shawshank redemption, uh, a Stephen King, uh, shorts based on a Stephen King short story. Uh, he also later on the make walking dead, all those other shows, but, that's where he got the start. And Frank, an interesting thing about Frank Darabont is that he made a deal for Shawshank Redemption, and um, the, the guy who made Spinal Tap, what's uh, Rob, his Reiner. Name? Rob Reiner. Rob from his production company Castle Rock, ironically, mm-hmm. uh, wanted to buy the rights from Darabont, but he directed it, and Darabont said no, I and stuck with his guns and did the, the. And Stephen King backed him the whole way because he's like, no, this guy's the vision uh i stand by me made a lot of money for a lot of people but we don't want another stand you know like this is going to be a different tone and darabont fought for it just a total
2: yeah
0: imdb moment for everybody I, from the
2: and darabont knocked it out of the park i mean yeah he then went and totally destroyed the mist in my opinion but <laughs> frank darabont i hope you're not listening to this oh no i hope you are listening to this podcast <laughs> i would love to talk with you um, but i really don't i don't like your ending of the mist but oh, the, the green mist. mile was fantastic
0: did he do the green mile as well
2: yeah he did oh come on he
0: look, that's that's some heavy hitters so anyways uh yes um so yeah so
2: um uh, just getting back to me <laughs> <laughs> uh darebots had his chance (laughs) um so uh, an amazing thing happened because i've been thinking about this for a really long time as i mentioned and you know mike and i talked about this in in may but then you know things got busy in the summer as we've talked about on this podcast and i just didn't think about it again for a while and then literally three weeks ago like it'll be three weeks this coming saturday i uh I was looking at the dollar babys website again because I was doing a little bit of filming with with a friend here in in uh, in Barkerville that was reminding me a lot of Sherlock Holmes, and I thought, man, this guy could probably play Sherlock in this uh, this doctor's case. Maybe I'll just go and look at the dollar baby's website again and see what what I need to do. And literally, what I needed to do was fill out a text box. There was like a 300 word text box. Make your pitch. And then right down at the bottom it says, allow two to four weeks for a mm-hmm. response. So I did. I thought, you know what? i I've been thinking about this for so long. I'm mm-hmm. going to make my pitch right now. And I did. And I mentioned Barkerville. And I mentioned School Creative. And you know how we would really like this opportunity for me as a first time, you know, filmmaker in this regard. Uh, we really love this opportunity, and we have all of these Victorian resources at our disposal. And it would be great if I could hear something back. So that was on a Saturday afternoon. On Monday at ten a.m., I got a response wow. with a con with a contract attached to the email. Uh, contact. Contract, which I'm sure was actually written by Stephen King. I won't read any of it to you, um, but um, man, it was. Uh, it went, covered all of the legal bases very well. Was very clear about what we can and can't do. Um, but it had the conversational tone that we're just so accustomed to seeing uh, when we read his work. It was. It was a very proud moment for me, I have to say, because I literally, since I've been a young teenager, have been a really huge Stephen King fan. So even though it was no, no real personal contact between me and the man yet. Um, <laughs> there, there was, uh, just getting that was, was really incredibly exciting. And so for the past three weeks now, I've been rolling together to put, put stuff on the ground so that we can make this movie, make it good and make it good enough that Stephen King's going to take notice of it. Um, and so Michael's, as I said, is on board, so he's been working behind the scenes. I've got a director of photography, uh, one of the fellows who helped make Wilds to Riches, the documentary that I mentioned, right? Uh, is and beautifully shot. I mean, it's it's he's he's a really great guy. JC Shendell is his name. He just agreed yesterday to come on board as DOP. Um, Norm Coyne from Unlimited Media and Events is coming on board as producer. We're going to get a Kickstarter campaign uh, up and running uh, probably next week. Um, that'll have some uh, incremental uh, things going on, a variety of different uh, rewards for people who might want to invest in the film. Uh, we've got some local industry and uh, business on board as well. It's a, it's a real feel-good story for the Caribou and the Prince George area. There's a lot of filmmakers here who aren't doing a lot of stuff. that are. This is going to give them an opportunity to, to jump on board a really cool project. Um, Craig Derrick Castle in Victoria, I when I was at Canada's West Marketplace, because I had just got this email, I talked to Kate Humble there, who's their visitor experiences manager. She was quite excited about it, and we worked out a, a deal where Craig Derrick is going to come on as a location sponsor and give us an opportunity to film the manor house there in Victoria, wow. in, in this incredible Victorian castle, which is a, which is very obviously a mansion as at the same time as it's a castle, so it just is perfect. Uh, Emily Carr House in, uh, in Victoria has always been a very good friend of ours, and uh, we're looking forward to doing some filming there, um, which then turned into this whole real good news story for heritage tourism in B.C., because now we've got Barkerville, which is a National Historic Site of Canada, the C- Craig Derrick Castle, which is a National Historic Site, Carr House, which is a National Historic Site. So we get a, a chance to shine the spotlight, so to speak, uh, on the... These amazing heritage properties that we have throughout the entire province. So there's going to be a whole new way that we can talk about the film and kind of why this is good for BC and for for BC tourism. So uh, it, it's amazing. Just the last three weeks have been a roller coaster of goodwill and great feelings. Um, I'm headed to I'm hella, I'm headed to LA in two weeks to talk to. <laughs> Um, a person who I can't name right now because we 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 have no deal at all, but who has expressed some very positive reaction to my initial um, contact um, about coming on and, and having a small but very important part in uh, in this in this film. This person has some on screen Stephen King experience already, so having them uh, you know involved in our project would just be that extra little bit. Not to mention the fact that this person is a great and very experienced actor. People will know who this is. Um, so uh, again, I, I you know I wish I could say say a little bit more about that, but it's just it's been such an incredible last three weeks, just all based on you know inspiration from Barkerville and the the surrounding Victoriana that I've come to know and love, um, interest from the the heritage community in British Columbia as a whole, and uh, and then also just this opportunity that that uh, an author like Stephen King provides for for up-and-coming artists of of all sorts to 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 train a little bit right it's it's
0: it's an amazing like i've heard about this the dollar baby program um through podcasts and through just reading about uh, movies and everything else and the fact that you came to me and you were like by the way uh i got this email from stephen king about the dollar baby i was like oh my like head exploded and it's (laughs) uh I mean, if there's anybody that, um, you know, should be uh, doing more work and doing more creative things, it's somebody like yourself. Because, man, every time you turn around, you got a different project going. And, uh, you know, you help people. You nurture people. You gave me a chance to have a podcast when I had uh, little to no experience. And you're a great producer, so I think it's it couldn't happen to a better guy, this kind of opportunity. So... Um, looking forward to seeing what happens, and also um, and uh, helping out with the Kickstarter and seeing what kind of prizes or uh, I shouldn't say prizes packages that go along with the different dollar amounts. Um, yeah no it's it's a pretty exciting time for you James uh, well, congratulations I,
2: I really appreciate that Matt and uh, and yeah the fe- feeling is mutual I'm really happy that, that we're able to do this and uh, and I look forward to the other stuff that' we'll, that we'll always bring to the table um, by the way speaking of the Kickstarter although we, we haven't actually launched it at the time that we're recording this by the time somebody's listening to it you might uh, have an opportunity to engage with us on that so um, what I can tell you is um, www.org thedoctorsmovie.com all of the information that anybody will need as we progress with the filming will be available on www.thedoctorsmovie.com
0: and uh this is uh we're recording this on november 30th uh 2016 uh so if you are a future listener and if you're let's say so look up the website anyways maybe you'll be you you can Either join in at the ground floor of an exciting movie project, or maybe there's an opportunity for a viewing in your area. Uh, if this is uh, if you're more into the future, I mean, as we look forward, so we don't know how long uh, somebody will be listening to these podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> It might just be me in ten years trying to remember <laughs> what we talked about.
2: <laughs> you know, if I'm like if I'm like Watson and I'm in my nineties and I get to spend this time reflecting on the things that we've done, I will definitely be listening to this podcast.
0: <laughs> <so>. I agree. <laughs> uh, well, uh, thank you very much, James, for your time. I uh, it's great that you mentioned Craig Gare Castle. We are we're going to be having I'm um, uh, interview that I did with David Radford. Um, who does currently, he does shows at the Craig Derrick Castle. So it's a, it's a nice little tie in. I mean, you mean, he did that on purpose. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, uh, thank you very much for your time, James. Uh, we'll be talking again, I'm sure in the future and, uh, keep us in the, uh, I'd like to hear updates. Maybe every time we sit down and talk, it'd be fun to hear an update about how, how this project's going and all the other projects and also Barkerville, because, uh, I gotta tell you at the Christmas time, a lot of people, um, don't take advantage enough of going into Wells, Barkerville area, and Cottonwood during the winter wintertime. Um, the roads are always taken care of. There's nothing to worry about that. Um, they're always maintained, uh, and it's early mornings maintained, but it's a beautiful place to visit, uh, experience sport, and travel, and just take photos. Um, yeah, hopefully more people take advantage of that, and you'll see a lot more traffic, especially with those uh, activities happening
2: for the whole month of December. I hope so. You'll like this actually on uh, Saturday the 10th, the evening of. We're actually having a Christmas Sunset Cabaret.
3: Oh, uh, in
2: Wells. So, for those people who are staying uh, for the weekend, uh, they'll have uh, a great comedy music show with a Christmas theme to come see uh, at the Sunset Theater. That's amazing. Well, thank
0: you very much, James. And uh, we'll be talking to you soon. Have awesome. a great Thanks. day. Thanks. You too, Matt. Always good to catch up with James Douglas there in Barkerville. However, before we begin the talk with David Radford, however, first here's a word from our sponsor.
1: If you've never been to the end of the road, you can't really describe the experience of having been there. And if you could go to the end of the road only to find what was, over 150 years ago, its own end of the road from the opposite direction, what would you think of that? Discover Barkerville Historic Town. Visit Barkerville.
3: For more
2: information, visit Barkerville.ca. Barkerville, a national historic site of Canada.
0: My guest this week is David Radford. And now David Radford is uh, very well known in the Victoria acting community, also in the Wells Barkerville theatrical community, one of the founding members of the Sunset Cabarets, founding member of the Whistlepig Players. And so on. He now operates a theatrical company with his lovely wife, Christina Patterson. Launchpad Theatrical Productions in Victoria. You can catch them doing shows at Craig Deere Castle. Also shows um, at the Fringe Festivals. They're around town. Always wonderful. If you see Launchpad Productions on the poster, be sure to check it out. Now, this was recorded, as I was saying, on Father's Day. Also, uh, I was pretty new to podcasting at the time. So my mic placement wasn't the greatest. David just happened to be my second interview. So at times it can get a little quiet, but I assure you that we get a little loud at points. So, you know, try to best find the a level that will match up us shouting at each other jokes to very thoughtful conversation. So without any further ado, my friend and yours, David Radford. Journey. Hi David Hi Matt David You Are awesome That's how I'm going to begin this And I may you may laugh But I remember um, Where we met was not We met in Barkerville As most of the people that I will be talking to uh, Who I worked as an interpreter However we really became friends was doing comedy Mm -hmm. We did a lot of sketch comedy A lot of shows Dramatical pieces Yep uh you casted me very fairly in some roles <laughs> i i believe i was boorish father <laughs> in ion which i was like eh, someone knows ah, me. was a bit of fighting in that though it was great oh i was yeah, able yeah, to yeah. be a bit physical i yeah, mean, yeah yeah very rarely do they someone goes okay you're gonna have to swing a punch i'm like really
4: we, i remember <laughs> the running joke there was we kept calling it euripides ion instead of euripides What's EU Rapids? <laughs> what are we going to see in the woods?
0: <laughs> well, yeah. This Greek tragedy.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Also, the marketing for it came out at the same time as uh, Superman Returns. Oh yeah, which you're all the the marketing had the Superman symbol, the crest That's with right. Ion in it, and it was like I'm like someone's gonna get sued here today. <laughs> <laughs> but and you were just and it was because obsession you, with Superman and putting oh, it into Greek tragedy. But, If I was going to list some things of how I know you, it's Barkerville, comic books, and movies. Yes. Those three things we talk about more often. Endlessly. Endlessly. Yeah. In fact, uh, every Sunday we meet to talk about our works, and we call them writing sessions, ends up with just being like, so I watched Spider-Man the other day, and here is my philosophy on Spider-Man. Didn't get much writing done uh, this week. Sorry, Matt. but It was a tough week. Tough week. Uh, David, where did you begin? So I know you were born on the island. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were born in, I forget the name of the place now. You were born in Nanaimo. Nanaimo? Mm-hmm. I thought you were born up.
4: I thought you were not a big city boy. No, I was born in uh, Nanaimo. My folks lived in uh, Qualicum, and uh, probably about six years after I was born. So six years in Qualicum, say. And then we moved uh, to Bella Bella, um, Bella Bella British Columbia. Denny Island, Central Coast. Uh, so, we, population a hundred people.
0: <laughs> now, was it? It's a family. You ha- you just have an older brother, a younger brother. That's right, five years younger. Who I just met recently. Like it was like the Luso thing. I always thought you were an only child, but you had a younger brother of how many years younger? Five years. Five years. So you always just skipped each other in like high school or in elementary. Essentially, you're always on the way out. That's right. And he was coming in. That's right. Uh, you went. You lived in Bella Bella for how long?
4: Uh, Bella Bella was another five years. I'm gonna say, and then uh, we moved to Sydney, which is outside of Victoria, um, because at some point my dad was like, "This kid's got to get a proper education," and the school system uh, up in, if you can imagine this, which totally ties into uh, Barkerville and, and working in Barkerville. But uh, I had a school teacher in Shearwater, outside of Bella Bella, who forced me. <laughs> to write with my right hand, because the left hand was the sign of the (laughs) devil. And I was actually, I was actually supposed to be left-handed. And so I was in grade one. Uh, So it's in the seventies, grade one, grade two. And like the, yeah, they were forcing me to use my right hand, even though I was supposed to be left-handed. So now when I hold a tool, like a hammer or or anything that I'm doing, I am always never know which hand I should be doing it with because my brain is constantly trying to do my left hand, but I was forced to use my right, and very strange. So then, of course, years later, uh, working in Barkerville, and my wife being the school teacher there, as, as yourself, being a school teacher in Barkerville at one time, there's, there's like, well, yeah, yeah, they forced you to use your right hand because it was the sign of the devil to use your left hand. I'm like, hey, that's from my childhood. That's, that's not that old.
0: Was it like some platoon-esque flashback where you're sitting there as you said, <laughs> no, <laughs> You're watching Christina be like, (laughs) no, 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 David, with your right hand. You're like, no, (laughs) writing on a wall left is bad. (laughs) Eyes rolled up into my head. (laughs) Well, so. (laughs) Sorry. When did you finally, because you moved to Victoria when you're, you went to Sydney. Yeah. Now you did your high school in Sydney. That's right. And then the.
4: Probably pretty much right after I finished high school. Like, see ya, folks. <laughs> I'm out of here. What did you do theater in high school? Was your some of your top yes, classes? Yes, I did lots of theater in in uh, high school, and of course, it's high school, so you do a lot of musical theater. That's of how course. you start. So, uh, Greece, Little Shop of Horrors. Who were you in Greece? My daddy Zuko. Oh,
0: of course. <laughs> and Little Shop of Horrors. Let me guess. You were Seymour Crumbler. Oh, of yeah, course. Yeah. Yeah. Wait a second, how do you go from Danny Zuko to uh, Seymour Krelborn? (laughs) Like, I was totally going to say that. That's versatility, man. That's an actor. (laughs) They're just like, hey, that handsome guy, let's slap some glasses on him. (laughs) Meanwhile, there's probably some kid in your class that was probably like 110 pounds soaking wet that was looking at you like, oh, Danny Zuko. Finally, it's my year. (laughs) I got this one. And they're like, and,
4: yep, handsome, popular (laughs) David. (laughs) I wouldn't say I was that handsome. I wouldn't say I was that popular. Um, I was in the uh, theater uh, uh, theater community of my school in the 90s, uh, or, or, or uh, late 80s, early 90s.
0: So you leave the nest. Yes. You're on your way out. Where do you head? Where's your first stop out of the
4: nest? <laughs> Not that far. Went to Victoria. Oh, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and that's down the road. And yeah. at that time, it was... But I did a bit of traveling and uh, took off down into the States and drove around in my car. And then went to England for a while Bit, bit of traveling like that, but what did uh, you do in England? Just go, yeah, uh, travel around with a friend of mine. We, we took off together and uh, went through uh, from Cornwall right up to Scotland. Really good time.
0: Now, Christina's story though, did you know Christina at this point? Christina Patterson, being your wife, mm-hmm. who uh, I interviewed last week,
4: yes, did you know Christina at this point? I knew Christina in 92, '92. We were in a show called uh, Much Ado About Nothing. Uh, I played Don Pedro. She played Beatrice. And so, of course, I'm not the one who gets the girl in the end. But at one point in that particular Shakespeare show, uh, Don Pedro asks uh, Beatrice, Will you have me, lady? Will you marry me? And so, how strange. uh, Proposing to Christina in Toronto, on Toronto Island, Yes. Ah, Full circle. It's so smooth.
0: Like I would have never would have been like, um to be? She's like, that's not even the play we did <laughs> Which is ironic, uh, because you're now going to be doing a production. Let's throw in a quick plug because it's mm-hmm. great. That uh your production company Launchpad Productions mm-hmm. performs now it's twice a year, but before it was once a year yes. at the Craig Dare Castle in Victoria, British Columbia. Mm-hmm. Uh, You do shows. You did Halloween shows like Dracula. You did a uh, Ark Arkham Asylum. Yes, we did a Batman esque thriller last year, and we're we're doing it again because it was very popular. And then for your spring show, you just finished. It was Charming of the Shrew, Mm -hmm. which is an adaptation written by yourself. Yes. Which of taming the shrew, and then the next, so it would be a year from now. Yes. In March, probably around is that yeah March April. You'll be doing a new adaptation that I know you're writing,
4: so now you have to commit to it because you're saying, well, not really. I mean, yeah. Know, oh, then that's much ado about nothing, right? Much of course. ado about nothing. That's not much less ado about nothing. I think we're doing a we're doing a very uh, what we do at the castle is do shows in an hour. So whether it be a Halloween show or a spring show or a Christmas show or whatever we're doing, uh, we reduce them down to one hour. So it's Shakespeare done, in one hour. which when you think about, it, it's perfect if you want to go for a night out.
0: So Toronto. Now, we sort of skipped a bit, but you proposed to your wife on Toronto Island. Yes. What year was this? Uh, Week 2003. So in the time between then, because you're traveling, you leave high school, you're traveling, do you do a lot of theater in between there? Like, is there like much shows you're producing or are you just doing like freelance work or what do you, where's that period there for like almost like a 10-year period? Disappears. Yeah, yeah well,
4: I uh, did theater in high school and I left high school and I was in Victoria in Victoria I did uh, community shows uh, at local community theater uh, local community theaters and then uh, left went to Toronto with Christina. We uh, drove across together. Uh, Christina was doing a show, but I disappeared from theater altogether. I went oh, really right away from it and I worked as a bartender and had a lot of. Fun, living in Toronto for three and a half years, and then moved to Vancouver. And again, I was wasn't really doing any real theater. Um, and then uh, Christine and I, when we got married, the very first thing that kind of injected me back into that was uh, going up to Barkerville.
0: So when, when when was your when was your first year in Barkerville? What year was that? Two thousand four, I think so. Because my first year was two thousand four. Yes, but I think we just crossed. Like I, you was, had the mutton
4: chops back then, oh,
0: and and you worked as a school
4: teacher, right? And we didn't school. really know each other.
0: No, I I sort of hid away. I think it was sort of a funny thing with me is I, I I got the position, but I also was working as a a manager at a movie gallery. I worked at a video store, which when you think about it, would be like instantly what would we else would we talk about videos and Barkerville and I'm doing both at the same time, but we, I just never really socialized with anyone. I just, I had my girlfriend at the time and we just sort of hung out together or I was in, in in Quinnell. I didn't really move into the scene as it were. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then it wasn't until 2005 when we, I would came out into the street uh, contract for Barkerville and we started interacting. Yes, that's right. And, uh, Eventually realized this is the funniest human being, <laughs> like, because I I realized this when we started doing shows together. We did a, a Midsummer Night Dream, except you played Oberon, yes, with uh Christina playing your Titania. Is That's that right. Name? Yeah, oh, yeah. perfect. Hey, yeah, yeah. nice, work. So, nice work. See, nice work. English Lit major. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we did that. We did that show together, and then we did a comedy auction. That's right. Uh, we sort of just. We threw together. I had my writing partner at the time, Ben Mills, and so it was me, Ben, you, and Mark, mm-hmm. which was like basically the the four blandest sketch comedy names in the world, <laughs> like Matt, David, Ben, and Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, we just were like, I just hit it off. I, I I I always appreciated your work, and it's mainly it's your attention to detail. Now that's why I find it funny that you had this little span in between of theater how did you actually get to Barkerville? Who was it that, how did you even find out about Barkerville? Was it somebody you knew in the community? Like, how did you even enter it?
4: We were in Vancouver, and we went to see uh, a show that T.J. Daw was doing. And uh, Charlie Ross was in the audience. And I know Charlie, uh, Charlie's uh, quite well known as the one-man Star Wars guy, uh, who travels the world doing the world, one-man yeah. Star Wars. And this was at the very, very beginning of that. Before anybody knew what that was, uh, he had he'd been working in Barkerville, been working in the water wheel program that's up there in Barkerville, run by Dave Brown, still to this day. Uh, and he had to leave that summertime job uh, to go and start touring the fringe, I believe, uh, or, or doing bigger. The larger show must tours. have been blowing up at that time because I remember two thousand four. Yeah. It was starting to go. It's, right, yeah, it was starting to really go It wasn't up. And soon so after that he was on Conan and things like that. Sure, I mean, He yeah. shot to the moon after that. So he couldn't do this summertime gig anymore. And so he was talking to me about going up, and I was like, uh, as at the end of this show, the, the TJ, TJ Dawes show. So he's talking to me about going up, and I said, oh, I don't know. So I let it go. And then I started talking to my wife about it. And he's like, why don't you just do it? Why don't you do it? And I'm like, oh, okay. So then I went back and, yeah, okay, well uh send me the information. And that's how all that began. And so then I made my way up there uh, that that summer's job and met Dave and worked the water wheel program there. And, uh at that point I lived with uh two other gentlemen and didn't do very much that year. The very first year I think I just did the water wheel program and that was about it. And then the next year, uh when I met you and then Christina came up and worked there and then we moved in with some friends that were also working in the park uh, and a, a larger community formed and then it was all about filling up your days with as much as you possibly do so we were doing the we started off doing those calor yeah. that, that all began a 10 year a, anniversary 10 year anniversary ago,
0: coming yeah. up this year I think their first show is on June. First, which we're recording this now on Father's Day mm-hmm. June 19th mm-hmm. so in a few days they're going
4: to be starting off where we were 10 years ago. yeah then thats incredible <laughs> but suddenly uh, writing comedy sketches at the end of your day, uh, rehearsing Shakespeare, uh, putting up these cabarets, you know designing the shows that were happening every week we put them on every week. Yeah these shows uh, uh, you were constantly writing material or constantly rehearsing uh, we just filled up our days with so much work and it was a real uh, i mean every year in Barclay, a, a family
1: community mm-hmm.
4: feel but uh, that year in particular uh, second year up there for me, it really was all about work it was yeah. all about the amount of work that We just
0: were constantly pitching. I just remember the pitching of jokes. Like you would every spare moment, Mm -hmm. whether even if we were trying to relax in the bar for a drink of post celebration of that last week's cabaret, Mm -hmm. it's then now, what are we doing next week? Mm -hmm. Okay, here, I got this joke. I got this script. All right. Like we're writing, we're trying to just flip out as much as we can production wise. I don't think I've produced that much material. In that, like that was a brief span. Like I mean, there's probably some years that have come close, but I mean, for you though, after that first year, then your second year, uh, or after two thousand six, we're in two thousand seven. Mm-hmm. You not only had the cabarets, which I think you increased by two shows. You went from six to eight, probably. Yeah. And then you also had you were directing Macbeth. Uh no, Tim Sutherland was
4: directing oh, Macbeth. I was in it.
0: Yeah. I thought oh, okay. But it was initially... But you were the Shakespeare guy. I always thought that that was your idea. Was it not? Or was it a group consensus? How did Macbeth come to be? Because I love that show. Oh, good, yeah. I really... That always stuck with me. Technical-wise, that theatre has never been used so much... So crisper. I I mean, there's probably... I haven't seen some shows in there recently. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, for a a roadhouse theatre, you don't really expect, like, the kind of lighting designs that that one had. But because you guys were so centralised in town and everybody was so focused... Technical wise, special effects wise, acting wise, like that was a that was a tight show. And at this time, you're working at the water wheel, mm-hmm. uh. Yeah, but also, were you doing the judges contract more that that's time? That's right.
4: Yeah. So I would be the swing, which I loved as well. And again, that that's the same. explain the swing, just so uh, people at home could understand what that looks like. So eventually, as the years go by, I started to uh, I learned all the shows on the water wheel contract, uh, which is Goldfield's discourse and. Then, uh wanted to of course see what it was like to be uh, in the judge's contract and so I was up there in Richfield doing the, uh, the judges program in heaven um, yeah it's a lovely spot the best uh, office in British Columbia for sure and and then of course once a week would come down to do the water week I always have something new to it wasn't just the same thing all the time and I and that's what was attractive to me as well that you could do uh, the judges program uh and of course you could do tours of the uh, uh of the courthouse and then you know within a couple of days you'd be down doing the Discord Goldfields discourse and doing the waterwheel show and 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 all the different styles of acting that 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 is also very interesting where you do the waterwheel show it's like uh, faulty towers it's very broad uh, broadsword kind of kick up the backside uh comedy um Goldfield's Discourse is like laser surgery. You're really uh, trying to create those moments as real as possible. And, and the judges uh, as well. Uh, judges as a, a bit of both. The, the, the drama of being in sort of the courtroom and telling the stories of, of those days, but also uh, doing tours and really honing your skills uh, as an actor. Whether you're being big and broad or whether you're being very...
0: Well, I remember Finbar Quinn. Oh,
4: uh, yeah, good old ah, Finbar right. Quinn.
0: Yeah, the low, low status.
4: Yeah, well, you minor. know, minor. Um, there are many uh different characters that I played uh in that uh, time in my park uh, uh in the time uh, that I was in the park, and uh, so. You'd have uh, someone like Mr. Coots who'd talk in uh, this uh, uh, upper uh, English, a bit uh, nervous, trying to get uh, investors, that kind of thing. Uh, And then, of course, uh, there was the judges' uh, contract. so they were uh, a little bit more uh, stuffy in their uh, English accent. And then uh, Finbar uh, Quinn, (coughs) uh, also known as uh, Mickey Finn, uh, he is uh, my low-status character. And uh, he uh, was a minor on the difference being is you could always uh, with the playing a minor as compared to playing somebody of a higher status, you could fall asleep in the bushes. Oh, uh, I, I remember I was eating lunch
0: with Faith Moon saying mm-hmm. at the wake up Jake and we are next to the window. So she invited me in and we were just talking. I think we were discussing next year's contract. Uh, I think it was too. I think she was asking me where my thoughts were. What character I'd like to be, you know, like who, where, what facets of history I found more interesting. What would I like to talk about? Really, having just a nice open discussion. And we see <laughs> you walk by the back street, and you catch a glance at us at the window. And so it's a full wake up. Jake was just hopping, full of people, and you started walking up, scratching your belly, <laughs> looking longly at at the food, and the whole time Faith is saying, "Don't look at him." Don't look at him because you're just feeding his his energy, and then you start picking up dandelions to smell and see if you could eat those, and then you start chewing on the dandelion as almost you're like you're eating the sandwich that I'm eating, and she's the whole time just like don't look at him, don't look at you're only encouraging him, yeah, and uh, you just did this like little soft piece, and then the funny part was you turn around and there's uh, a family walking down the street at the same time. And you went, good day. Actually, I'm doing... You, you could see you went a
4: okay. right, right,
0: yeah. little bit of funny business that nobody else saw, right back into it. Hey, well, actually, I'm doing the Goldfields Discourse. Would you like to come up? And I think they, you walked up the street, they followed right behind you, because they were like, oh, okay. Well, we don't really know what else to do. And those are the kind of moments that capturing in Barkerville that I I, I always I, I cherish the most, is that the, the hidden moments... glances I discussed with Christina how you were bullock where you'd slump your arm down. Oh oh yeah yeah and you'd just give her a look as you walk up the street and it'd be just this tension in the air and that the room would everybody would it was almost like, you know, the high school scene and you know some eighties movie where all of a sudden the two two ingenues stare at each other and the crowd parts (laughs) as you start marching up the street to stare at her. And uh, and then you just like walk past her like hand solo. As we as I reference more and more movies,
4: <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah the uh, the school teacher when it was my wife got visited by many uh, different uh, incarnations. Uh, I'm playing all these different characters, but she's being visited by each one of them. Uh, they're really creating a, a reputation on the creek. There was uh, a bit of a scandal that was coming forward. Absolutely, and uh, there was.
0: I want to talk about it because we were talking about characters, and uh, because we lost someone. Um, we lost Tim Sutherland, uh, this last year. In um, it was just it was a almost it was almost a year ago, wasn't it? It was around the same time last year, like yes. end of June, um, beginning of July. Uh, now you worked with Tim on in the judges contract
4: for how many years? Uh, I'll say three or three or four years. I've known Tim for twenty years, and uh, he's been a friend for a long time. We uh, were in many different together. He's directed me many times. Uh, we've had a lot of fun, uh, and most recently, in the last couple of years, I worked with Tim uh, in the school program for the judges. which is a great, uh, fun program.
1: So learn a little bit
4: about uh, what it is to uh, go to a trial in a court, but also it's very wickedly uh, funny. It's, it's, so, it's so big and re- really made for
0: and it's almost like the hidden show. Just to get off topic, mm-hmm. that school show only is seen by grade ten group classes and sometimes grade fives. Oh no, there's a yeah, there's grade fours, five, fives, sixes, tens. So these so these kids get to see the show, and then we'd hear them talking about it. But you as a as somebody, you can't really sneak into the back without really like arranging it first. I remember I've only seen it once, and it's one of my favorite shows
1: because
0: mm-hmm. it, and it's so special because it only happens. For a period of time, you and Tim, That's it. or whoever you and, spring, Dirk, and whoever and you and James, whoever it is, there, do it, and then it's on. Yes, and you don't see it again until no. the fall. It may appear a few times, but yeah. always a special show. Uh Sorry, I, I mean it, no, it's
4: yeah, not, uh, and, uh, and so that, that was the last thing that I was doing in Barkerville. Was just coming out for the spring, just doing that program, Uh and then uh Tim's passing was very hard, and I and I couldn't uh, I couldn't see myself doing it anymore because I'm doing with Tim. So I went up and directed two new uh, faces uh, in Barkerville, uh, two young guys, and it was great to be up there and like, wow, I'm the old guy now. <laughs> these two, uh, I was directing these two young guys, who were great, they, uh, they really took to it right away, and they were already sort of building their own ideas of how the show should be, and, and that's the nice thing about uh, um, having my time when I was up there, and the family and the community that I had up there, and the amount of uh work uh, uh that we did when we were up there uh, all the different productions great great memories also at the very very beginning of my marriage uh so what great memories and uh, to to be working with my wife up there to be writing together to be performing together and then years later it's really the model of how we do things now at the castle, how we do things now in victoria how we work together now you know, it all sort of started when we were there and and now to be the old guy and and uh, train these uh, young fellows how to do it. And and they're already, like, inventing their own way. And that's the way it should be. uh, Things should change over. Things should be taken over by uh, new, fresh faces who bring uh, a whole different way of doing theater. And it's even, too,
0: with the the telling of the history. Mm -hmm. Because what I'm fascinated in is not something somebody else is fascinated in. Mm -hmm. And you're sort of finding, like, I find that when the refresher would come through, Somebody be like, I'm really interested, actually, in this plaster mining that was happening here. Absolutely. And then it's like, oh wow, okay, and you're fine. And that person's telling you, like, well, actually, I found out this. I've been doing my own research. This is what I'm interested in. And it was always neat having those new people just pop up, because even though you're doing your own independent research and you're figuring things out, it's always like, oh, we might as well use each other as that Mm -hmm. sense as well.
4: And And new styles of writing and new styles of directing and new, it's great.
0: We will be hearing more from David. However, first, here's a word from our sponsor.
1: So if you lived in the 1870s and had the misfortune of being caught committing a crime in Barkerville right after the judge had left town, you could rest secure in the knowledge that you would be languishing in jail until the judge returned the following year and your trial would happen in one day. Swift justice, visit Barkerville.
2: For more information, visit Barkerville.ca. Barkerville, a national historic site of Canada.
0: We're going to be returning back to the conversation with David Radford, uh, where we're going to be talking about uh, performing in plays, also um, about not walking away from Barkerville, but what happens when you're sort of moving away from a full-time contract and what that looks like. And, yeah, we get into some pretty uh, interesting territory. Well... Here he is, my friend, and hopefully yours, David Radford. I've always loved you on the, the water wheel. And I do, I, I mean, it sounds like I'm all over you on this one. <laughs> sounds like all I'm doing is just complimenting you. You're but very kind. I'm, I have, I have, geez, come on now. You're, you're one of the best. But we also had, uh, uh, <laughs> while watching you on the water wheel, it was like one of those things of like, dang. Man, come on! You guys like you'd have a crowd of sixty-five people. When I was working at the theater, I was just like, "Oh, I got how do I pull from the fish from this stream?" Right? Because <laughs> you guys would have assembled this crowd, and it'd be a big crowd. And it's water wheels show is I think I mean it's been the same show, not the same show. I shouldn't say that, but it's been the draw. Style. It's it's it, the draw, and it's a big wheel. And we've always talked about it. Dads enjoy it. Like my dad always takes people to it because it's like, ah, hey, it's alright it makes sense it's tactical wheel spins and you show people
4: how to do it and
0: it's a great little comedy
4: piece and it's all and that's really down to uh one man uh who has been doing it since the 80s uh Dave Brown who has run that contract he was my boss he's one of the nicest people in Barkerville he's pretty much the face of Barkerville as uh, Mr. Grimsby uh the the man who works the the Cornish water wheel uh and is amazing and people come Year after year, just to see that man. Nothing to do with me. I was just happy to to be uh, someone who could get the, the comedy timing of the show. Uh, but he really uh, built that up and is still doing it to this day.
0: And he embodies something. There's there's something that Dave Brown holds that is universal from kids to adults. Yes, like he has. I mean, there's a charm there that you you look into his eyes through his big bushy beard mm-hmm. and the hat that's rustled (laughs) up yeah but when he when he approaches you it's like he knows how to talk to everybody in the group and it's the same sentence but everybody's picking up on the information uh he runs a really i mean really
4: tight contract actually yeah everything he's involved with yeah it's really good he's really the heart and soul of that place and it was great that uh under my in, in my time there that i got to work with him that was really great
0: when you walked through the was 2003 2004 sorry the first time you walked through those gates in Barkerville. Uh, what was your feeling then? What would, you, like, as somebody, you, you haven't been there when you were a kid. Mm-hmm. So when you walk through, was it like, what? what's this? Yeah, I've never done interpretive work before. I didn't know what that was. <laughs> well, that was always the, the fun part was people sometimes when they were walking through, they didn't know what to expect either. No. And you give them that first good day and the men sort of look, we look like, you know, we have the trench coats or what have you. We don't really look too out of place. No, like you, I could walk up to you in town and be like, "All right, well, that guy's wearing a bowler. That's a bit weird." But for and so I always remember you'd be like, "Oh, good day," and it's people's first day. They're like, "Yeah, what's up?" <laughs> <laughs> like, like, why are you talking to me right now? <laughs> oh, you're the tour guide.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, okay, honey, it's all right. <laughs> like, it's it's a weird experience for first people that arrive and also first interpreters like how long did it feel before you felt
4: like you had a grasp on what was going on it took me a while oh it took me uh it took me a while the very first year is was, was, uh uh being in character all the time that and there's a huge there's a huge uh strange world that at what point do you actually say no I'm just an actor because sometimes you <laughs> You'll be saying good day to somebody and be talking to them and then they'll be like, so where are you really from? What do you mean? I'm from here.
1: I'm a mine
4: owner. And uh, and at what point do, uh, that is no, that is not how I act. (laughs) People are like, he's playing it a bit broad today, folks. What do you mean? I own a mine. Yes, that's exactly. They did. They're
0: like this 1950s Hanna Barbera cartoon character just showed up. <laughs> Huckleberry Hound is now teaching you.
4: <laughs> but there's always there's all, every year um, and it that kind of thing evolves. It goes. along uh, How long do you stay in character before go, no? But really, where do you live? And and so do you. Do you whisper to them? Look, I'm trapped here. You just take him aside. They won't let me out of the park. Please <laughs> tell somebody. It's like a bad episode of The Twilight Zone. We're all
0: trapped here. It's like the, the was it the prisoner? I can <laughs> tell you who I really am, but then I'd have to kill you. We're all former spies. The creek actually has bubbles in it that capture <laughs> us and bring us back. Well, wasn't that, it was always that interesting thing, like, we... In 2005, starting when it was, or 2006, when Stuart Kaywood came into the fold, and it was me, you, and Stu, mm-hmm. and eventually Chris Cooley, we had a loud reputation oh, yeah. in places where we would just shout. At each other. Comedy at each other. And to yeah. the point where I'm surprised I have people that are still my friends <laughs> yeah. that would be witnessing to it, because we're just shouting jokes loud, louder, loudest, my jokes funnier. And then you have the tourists that would be in the establishment with us, witnessing it. And I always thought, what do they think? Like, are they enjoying this? Is there a fourth wall? Like, it's so funny, like, the people that would stay in Wells, um, how they witness us just getting, I'm getting bread. Right. Like, I always found that, like, the secret thing of, like, you should stay in Wells. Isn't it a cool that that guy who's that now he's you can actually you know pick him up on the side of the road and drive him back into Wells. Right, right, right. You know, I've gotten that a few times where people are like, hey, you want to
4: ride in? I'm like, sure thing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what are we doing?
4: Well, we'd be shouting comedy up and down the streets at each other, trying to make it in the, the fashion of the time. And as Christina was talking about with the uh the cutting off of the leg of Billy Hauser, <sighs> a pest tense, everybody becoming sick. Uh, the the reports of uh, my wife playing Mrs. Hall, and she's hanging around Mr. Coots, and 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 Mr. Uh, Reverend Hall has been uh, taken up on the ridge by Mr. Coots, and he's and and he's disappeared, and all these like uh, little inside joke stories that we're that we're doing, as well as the historical information that we're giving out, and the exterior uh, inside jokes, if that makes any sense. So you have this kind of outside inside jokes going. On. Then you had the job that you were doing. Then these kind of like little secret meetings and uh, card games that are happening and pool games that are happening in secret and this kind of you know that it's all happening and so this was really alive. Yeah, it was, <laughs> every day was an adventure. You had to do your job and you had to do it really well and then surrounded by all this chaos and craziness. And it was just
0: mapping everything. Like I, I mean, uh, you were married. Yes. So sneaking. Kisses, right? You because you oh got, yeah, you had to do because I know had, that. Oh, Paul oh. and I had it down to an art. Because <laughs> that's the thing is, like, you want it, to. It, it's not like you're gonna ever do it out public or when no, no people are w- watching. But it's almost like the same thing, like assassins. Like I'd be doing a town, I'd be doing a town tour. I'd finish up and then I'd walk by and just by chance, uh, a, a paramour of mine, whoever uh, the girl may be, would be hiding in like the smoke shack.
3: <laughs> and
4: like right. be
0: like hey you and you give a soft kiss and then you just move on your way yeah and i've only been caught once <laughs> so any uh ever been caught kissing me no i think i was uh we were pretty stealth about uh, it. see i never i've never seen it i've never even seen you guys like have any it was always looks glances oh yes I never saw anything no no funny business oh no. but i'm sure you're not the. i mean i'm sure my story is so tame i i imagine for tons of stories that are
4: completely oh, yeah. different. Oh yes, absolutely. Uh, the the uh, another hilarious thing about being up there in the middle of nowhere, working in these uh, in this historic park uh, as an interpreter is, of course, when you first get there, uh, there's all these relationships that form because all these actors uh, and interpreters are all meeting for the first time. Now, fortunately, I'm, I was outside of that because I was married, but there were so many people that would. Uh, hook up together uh, they met for the first time and then halfway through the season there's all these breakups and, oh. then, they're, and then they're re-hooking up for their, for their uh, summertime flings or whatever. so there's this whole other strange it's a seasonal relationships like we're, we're forced to learn all of this uh, historical drama and then of course there's real drama <laughs> <laughs> We used to with all these uh, <laughs> crazy types that are up there working. So. I remember me and you used to joke around and call it
0: musical chairs, mm-hmm. where everybody would be sort of you know June like May, everybody's getting to know each other. By June, relationships start forming, and by July, by uh, Arts Wells, they're formed. Yes, they yeah. had Broken up, either got back together or everybody made peace. And for the last, you know, for August and September, those were the couples. Yes, and what and. More often than not, they stay together. Like, I find couples that last to September, they at least go for a few years. Like, I met my wife, and I met her in June. And, like, I realized, joking with you, when I was like, I'm in a relationship, and it is fantastic. And you're like, see? <laughs> <laughs> like, you you, you
4: he's like, you would constantly just... It was like, musical yeah. chairs, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> but then it was like, the, it was always the summer of 1977 all over again. Uh, because all the... You know, of all these young guys up there with these great big beards. And basically everything we cooked was in barbecue. And we're like having beers and barbecue, big beards. Everybody's smoking cigarettes, driving around in the back of trucks. You know, this, this insane uh, world on your, on your sort of day off from the interpretive park where you're always in sort of tweed suits. And then, and then it's all these little backyard parties and, you know, the summers of 1970. So,
0: Parkerville,
4: uh,
0: you finished your last season in two thousand and eight. That was your last full season. Full season was it two thousand eight? Sounds about right. And then, how did it feel getting away from it? Like I always talk to people about it, where when you're doing seasonal work for so many summers, then it's okay. I'm I'm good because you also were a carpenter, painter, mm-hmm. not on like it, not like um. I mean, you have exterior work to help supplement your arts and theater unfortunately you yeah. I mean for us artists in Canada we have to do that well it depends it, where you live but if you're
4: if you choose to live like uh, I choose to live in Victoria with my wife and of course it's not a big enough city to support uh, there's not a lot of big television and film uh, productions happening here once in a while you get them and there's a uh, there's a lot of theater but it's all uh, very different mm-hmm. kinds of um, but there's not there's not a lot of big, big productions going on. There's big opera uh productions that happen at which the Royal. Your wife works. Uh, my wife works for it and then uh there's the Belfry Theater um uh, here in Victoria. But uh, there's a lot of tiny little uh, productions. So you make your own work, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Is yeah. you make uh, people who choose to live here you make your own work, which means yes, I do a bit of carpentry inside, uh as well. When you walked
0: when you made the decision to not go back to Barkerville mm-hmm was that a was that a decision of like you know what we're doing this seasonal let's just be in victoria and if after that did you ever have any pains of like oh it's may 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 I'd, I'd be going up or we you, because you were still in touch, cuz everybody in Barkerville was your friend
4: yeah i uh i never disappeared from it i um i stopped doing full seasons cuz i think there's a time i mean, it's just my wife and I are very similar that way, and we—it's time to kind of move on and, and actually build new things. And, and so we we I keep going back to work ethic, but it was really about making so much theater in those years that after that it was like okay we're going to move on and do something else and, and invent and inspire in, in a new city in a new place. Uh, and so the end of the the that four years of full seasons, I think we just we agreed together like well I think it's time to move. So that's where we came down to Victoria, and then uh, we we now do these productions of the castle and sketch comedy and all the different shows that we write, whether they be ten minutes long or whether they be an hour long or whether they be secret or public or you know, all the different uh, productions that we do. Uh, it was it was just a time for a change, but I never actually left Barkerville. We on? would go up and do uh, do. Fill in
0: work. Actually, it's true, because I, I did, I roped you into doing a radio play. Yes. Up there. Yeah, and yeah. I handed you a script like two days before. Yeah, yeah. And said, oh, you're doing it on stage. You don't need to read. You can just read it off your book. And <laughs> That's not how radio plays work. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I always just assume that H.G. Wells just, or no, was H. G., no, Orson Wells. Oh, yes. For, yeah, would yeah. just take out the script. Oh, I just got the script. I'm just going to read it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to read it all. I'll emote on the day. <laughs> Putting out a cigarette. No, I'll do it on the day. <laughs>
4: We, and we did a, I think we did a bit of rehearsal for that. And, uh, we did yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I, I think just to pull it up off the page a little bit. Your, your insistence on that one, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just so <laughs> your you have,
4: your work ethic really
3: <laughs>
4: Just to have a bit more action to it. Um, but yeah, I never actually stopped really going up. We were going up because uh, wells would have arts wells. So there'd be the big music uh, festival that happens in Wells, which is eight kilometers away. From Barkerville. So we'd come up, visit friends, stay for uh, Arts Wells, maybe uh, visit Barkerville, or maybe I've got some shift work where I came into Barkerville for like a week and did some shows for a week just to help out while somebody needed a relief to go to a wedding or take some time off or whatever and then disappear again. Uh, and then most recently, yes, I was up there for the spring the last two years. And then uh, this particular year, I went up and trained the so it's always kind of back and forth. Always, uh, it's never really left. I don't think I could ever go back to doing a full season there. I think that that's very different. But uh, uh, for me now, but, it's a different beast. Yeah. So yeah. I can't say there was any like, oh well, that's the the good old days of. I'm always seemed to be connected. It always seems to come around. And, and it always has a tiny. tiny... Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna
0: end on two things. Mm-hmm. uh see so you love superheroes yes you love superheroes and you're the one that got me into i remember sitting on your deck and you explained the plot to batman begins and i think it was one of the first big conversations we've had like we were just you saw batman begins we i asked you how it was and you explained the philosophy of batman to me because <laughs> at that point i just know jack nicholson fantastic batman
3: joker <laughs> Well, I know I <laughs>
0: may have to disagree with you, uh, but... Uh... But I, I just remember that, and I said, oh, I watched Batman 1989, I really enjoyed it. And then you went, I, I just saw this thing, and and the way you just, and then you talked to me for an hour and a half uh, about Batman Begins. And that's, I, I, it always sticks in my head of like, right, and that's, you have a, such a passion about superheroes, comic books, uh, movies, and also, you're a bit of a chameleon yourself. With your multiple characters that you can portray, voice acting, a lot of voice work.
4: When I don't you... know what you mean.
0: <laughs> when you got to Barkerville, did you like the idea of being a separate character full day? I know we touched upon it. Where you said it's a bit of it's a bit different when you're playing somebody all day. But did you ever have that little superhero like now it's time to put on coots and be this, <laughs> and you're like, and then you get home and you're like, bah! Tear your shirt, and you're like, time to go be David now. (laughs) And realistically, you only play David Radford because soon after, somebody would be handing you a script and be like, well, actually, you gotta be Macbeth. You gotta be this. You gotta do this script. And this, like, David Radford would appear like Clark Kent in Man of Steel. (laughs) And if you've seen Man of Steel, you get that reference. He is like Clark
4: Kent for like (laughs) 15 minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Barely. But, But
0: did you. When you were drawing upon in acting in general for interpretation, uh did you enjoy that aspect? Did you find the fun in that? Did you ever relate anything? Did you have any comic book moments when you were like on the street? Did you just go like, "Well, I'm like I'm a different character right here, and I'll portray something, but I'm really not that." Like, I I know you enough. I portrayed a mine manager, and I slowly went insane throughout the year because I found out he had mercury poisoning. Right. So by the end of September I was putting newspapers in a bag and forgetting where I was mm-hmm. I shouldn't say insane, insane I was having showing some neuro, uh, like uh symptoms of overexposure to mercury right and, and, t- and would talk to people about it and they're like oh I've been using mercury all my life and I don't see the problem now and then I'd be just using my and my one hand would be off to the side doing something else like oh what am I doing like <laughs> I did a little research I didn't I didn't go too broad with it so what I'm guessing saying after a long-winded speech uh, because I have multiple questions in there and I can answer them as best as I can. <laughs> uh, where do you always see yourself with superheroes in correlation with acting and interpretation? Oh my goodness,
4: I don't know. That's, uh... I, I see
0: it and that's one. It could be something that you... Uh, I've always pictured you as uh, somebody that drew great inspiration from comic books whenever you were acting. Because you became that person. And, you're, and you had the ability to turn it off. Like, if you're playing a hard role, you never, like, like you work with some actors, and they can't turn it off. They're always that. You always were good to be like, what? Okay, perfect. You know, like, and disappear into your own, like, that's fine.
4: No, it's just acting. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, what I do, whatever role that I'm doing, I always try to find the voice first. And so that's where it usually draws from anything that I've read in, in comic books or any kind of. Any movie, I've, it doesn't have to be superhero film, but just films in general. I'm always sort of taking little bits of different uh, performers' performances, different actors' performances, and then meshing them together, and then trying to form. And so it's always the voice that comes first for me. I always have to find the voice of the character first, and then from there the the layers of the character. Start so that's one thing because I was uh, attracted to old radio plays. Uh, 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 reading, uh, watching so many films, watching all different kinds of television programming and, 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 and reading comic books and, and really like trying to find the voice of that character like, what is this, what would this person be like? What do you sound like first? Uh, well,
0: see, you're a hundred times better than I am. I'm like, <laughs> can this character sound like me? <laughs> this character is going to sound like, like me. <laughs> I have two voices. I have Newfoundland voice and me. Newfoundland voice is also me. <laughs>
4: like, well, I guess it's going to be a bit of uh, um, Alec Guinness or something in there. And then we'll put a bit of the Irish on top of it. And uh, and then uh, maybe we'll uh, change it right up. Uh... <laughs> this
0: is unreal. How many... I, I don't know. What are you talking about? How many voices... What are you saying? <laughs> um Yeah. So, how many so, voices do you got? I don't know. I have no idea. I, I, because I tried doing the number one day, and I was thinking about it, I'm like I can't. Like, I, you change every time you see something different, you come up with a new voice. I'm like, ah, how do you do that? Well, David, I really appreciate you sitting down with me today. Mm-hmm. I, uh it was great. Great it was talking, and also especially because I mean, probably there's gonna be some things that we just laughed uproariously about. <laughs> That hopefully people find just as
4: funny as we do. <laughs> I doubt it. Like, <laughs> and this this inside joke
1: We said the word mud.
4: <laughs> and then people like, wow. Really low ratings.
1: <laughs> you should have been
0: there. We we did this one sketch once, completely off topic. We did ghost but we, we were referencing our relationship with yourself, me and Stuart's relationship with yourself and your wife. About how we can't stop leaving you guys alone because we just want to be around you all the time, and we kept calling ourselves the Ghostbusters. And you're, I'm like, and we're, we're always gonna be a team together, and we're gonna join the fire department together. And it was this re- sort of poking fun scene at what was really going on. It was a giant inside joke that me and Stuart kept knocking on your door to be like, Can David come out and play <laughs> and, and tell jokes? And Christina's Christine's like, Of course, but. We'd be like, and you're coming too, but you just would have no time alone without us sitting on your couch laughing at jokes. And I, I, I we did this sketch, we wrote it, and we're like, this is going to be so funny. And we couldn't make it through it. Me and Stuart started laughing because the part of the joke was you yelling at us. Yes. And even then we couldn't keep ourselves together. Get
4: uh, out of my house! <laughs> Leave me alone! Leave
0: me alone! Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much, David. No, absolutely.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and then uh then keep talking. That's it. I wanna cut it. I wanted,
0: I was hoping we'd laugh. History Town would not have been possible without the hard work, dedication, and man hours of James Douglas and Dirk Van Straelen. With a very special thank you to Debbie and Cyril Quick and an always a big warm thank you to my lovely wife, Genevieve Quick. And also, we'd like to thank today's guest,
4: David Radford of
0: Well, folks, that's it for this week's episode of History Town Podcast. Uh, We're going into the Christmas season, as you may notice that with these off-season episodes, uh, we're spacing them out a little bit um, just because of scheduling. Uh, I promise that once we start getting into more of a regular schedule with me and James being home a bit more, We'll be able to have them every, uh, you know, hopefully a little bit more on the weekly, if not bi-weekly or oh, bi-weekly. What am I looking for? Every two weeks? That's bi-weekly, isn't it? No, no, that'd be twice a week. No, 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 it's not twice a week. Okay. Upcoming next, uh, we will be talking with, uh, Jules Mackey. Uh, Julia Mackey is a wonderful performer, uh, writer, Uh, She has written a Canada touring show called by the name of Jake's Gift. If you happen to see it in your town, please go see it. It's a beautiful show. Uh, I would like to sit down with her because I first met her uh, on the streets of Barkerville uh, when we were both performing as interpreters and she gave me the best acting advice and I still hold it today. So I'm gonna sit down with Jules. Also in the new year, we're gonna probably sit down with myself. Uh, we'll have an episode dedicated to how I got to Barkerville. Uh, you know, as egotistical as that sounds, we're also gonna have uh Larry Forchuk, uh, who is a blacksmith in Barkerville. We'll probably sit down with danette Boucher again, which I think would be a nice wrap round as we start to head into the new season. Also, uh, I Celine Harder. Um, she is a performer in calgary she also was uh an interpreter in barkerville uh for two years and uh yeah so we are going to have a few guests upcoming in this upcoming new year uh however before we close off the episode i'd like to send out uh, a big thank you to our performer this week uh, willie kuklis who had gave us a beautiful rendition of big rock county mountain so that's how we're gonna end this week's episode good day folks
3: One evening, as the sun went down, the jungle fire was burning. Down the track came a hobo hiking. He said, boys, I'm not turning. I'm headed for a land that's far away beside the crystal fountain. So come with me and we'll go and see the Big Rock Candy Mountains. In the Big Rock Candy Mountains, there's a land that's bare and bright, where the handouts grow on bushes. And you sleep out every night where the boxcars are all empty and the sun shines every day on the birds and the bees and the cigarette trees where the lemonade springs where the bluebird sings in the big rock candy mountains in the big rock candy mountains all the cops have wooden legs and the bulldogs all have rubber teeth and the hens lay soft-boiled eggs farmer's trees are full of fruit and the barns are full of hay. oh i'm bound to go where there rain no snow where the rain don't fall and the wind don't blow in the big rock candy mountains in the big rock candy mountains you never change your socks and the little streams of alcohol come a-trickling down the rocks Brakemen have to tip their hats And the railroad bulls are blind There's a lake of stew and a whiskey too You can paddle all around them in a big canoe In the Big Rock Candy Mountains In the Big Rock Candy Mountains The jails are made of tin You can walk right out again As soon as you are in Rain ain't no shorthand shovels no axes, saws, or picks Well, I'm gonna stay Where you sleep all day Where they hung the jerk That invented work In the big rock and